Well, good morning uh, or good afternoon, good evening. I'm not sure when it is that you're watching this message, but I want to thank you for taking the time out to watch this online message. And I want to say happy Independence Day to you. We are so blessed to live in a nation where we can worship, gather and pray all in the name of Jesus. And we don't have to be fearful or worry about persecution. We don't have to worry about our doors of the church being kicked in um, and being shut down. And so as you celebrate with family today, um, remember to take time to thank the Lord that you are in America. Flawed as it may be, um, we still have freedoms that other people ultimately have and would die to have themselves. And so we will be in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20 today as we continue our Summer on the Mount series. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that Jesus is speaking to this crowd who has gathered and they are um, hanging on to every word that Jesus is teaching. And they are descended down this mountainside as Jesus is speaking to them. And Jesus is ultimately speaking to his disciples, those who are nearest to him. And Jesus is speaking on the kingdom. He is speaking on what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. And as he is speaking to these Jews, to these disciples, um, much of what he is saying seems to be contradictory or seems to be contrary to the Old Testament, to what they have grown up studying and learning. And so, as we will see later on in Jesus's ministry, there are many people who believe that Jesus is bringing a new teaching or he's bringing a new law. And Jesus knows that these thoughts are going on in the minds of these people. And so he confronts this, that he speaks into this. And so we see in verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus begins by saying that he has not come to abolish the law, but he has come to fulfill it. You see, Jesus is um, referring to the law and the prophets, and to these people that would be called the Tanakh, or what we would call the Old Testament. That Jesus has come to fulfill the Old Testament. He has come to fulfill the laws that Moses brought to Israel thousand years ago. He has come to fulfill the prophecies that were about him, that the prophets spoke of, and the laws throughout the Old Testament that these Jewish, these Jewish people would know much about. You see, their entire lives were shaped by the law. The way that they ate, the way that they dressed, the um, celebration, celebratory holidays and festivals that they took part in all came from the law that they would largely identify themselves as a nation based on the law, that it would separate them from the pagan nations around them. You see, so these Jewish people, they knew the law. They knew what it was and that Jesus says that he had come to fulfill the law, that he did not come to abolish or do away with, but he came to lift it up, to fulfill, to make high the law as he fulfilled it. He wants to make much of the law, not abolish it. And so he spoke this to these Jews 2,000 years ago. 
but I believe that maybe you needed to hear this today. Because I feel like many Christians um, that I know don't focus too much on the Old Testament. That they love the New Testament, they love the teachings of the New Testament, they love the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, but they don't really focus too much on the Old Testament because they believe that Jesus has come and he died so that we no longer need the Old Testament, we no longer need the Old Covenant, so that means we can do away with it. But there is a reason that the Old Testament and the New Testament are together in our Holy Scripture, the Bible. And so maybe you are in here and you, uh, or you're watching this video and you believe that the Old Testament is just kind of difficult to deal with. That God is an angry God. That God is a God of wrath in the Old Testament. That there's weird stories of sacrifice and there's a lot of blood. There's a lot of just crazy stories, but the New Testament's a little bit more palatable. That the New Testament talks about grace, and I can deal with grace, but I can't really deal with God's wrath. What Jesus says is that the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. The old law has not been abolished, that it is not done away with. We still need it. And so our first point today is that Jesus fulfills the law. Jesus did not abolish it, but he fulfilled the law. And so this word fulfilled could actually mean more to fill what is lacking, to fill in what is lacking. And so we're going to look at three ways that Jesus really fulfills the law. The first one is that Jesus brings clarity. You see, Jesus, as he is teaching the law, he is teaching about the kingdom, he brings clarity to the old law. He dives deeper into what does this law mean? What does this particular rule mean? And he dives deeper to the intent, the original intent of what this law's purpose was. And so we will see as we continue to read through the Sermon on the Mount in the next couple of weeks, we will see that Jesus uses a phrase over and over and over again. And that phrase is, you have heard it said this, but I tell you this. You see that there is a deeper meaning to the law that Jesus, you could say, he ups the ante, that he increases what is needed from the law, but he is not changing the law. He is just explaining, diving deeper into what the law's intent is. You see, Jesus knew that many people focused on the letter of the law and Jesus puts the focus on the spirit of the law. What is the law intended to mean to you, to your heart, to you as a person? If you're a parent, you understand this. If you have kids, see, I, I do not have kids yet. Me and my wife are expecting our first child. And so I just have this to look forward to. Um, but if you're a parent, you know that sometimes you give a rule and your kids don't necessarily break that rule, but they don't necessarily obey what you told them to do either. Right, so I just can imagine that as a parent, if you had maybe a kiddie pool in the backyard, maybe you have this kiddie pool full of water and you tell the kids, hey, later on, we're going to go swimming. Um, but they want to go swimming now. But you tell them, hey, you can go outside, but do not get in the pool. And you tell them, do not get in the pool. So what do the kids do? The kids walk up to the side of the pool and maybe they reach down and they splash water out of the pool. 
and they splash their brother or their sister and then they end up getting just as wet by not getting in the pool as they would have by getting into the pool. So technically they did not disobey the law, but they disobeyed the spirit of the law. They disobeyed what you are intending to mean by telling them not to get in the pool. And so this is what Jesus is speaking to. Jesus is getting to the deeper meaning of the law. And so we'll see that he continues to say, you have heard this, but I tell you this. So one of these examples that we could look at is, what if your parent told you, hey, I know you've heard you should not cuss, but what I'm going to tell you is, you should not say any word, even if it's a silly word, that could be related to cussing. So that means you can't say dagnabbit, you can't say shucks, you can't say frick. A Alex Dennis, our pastor, he says frick all the time, and I just believe that the Bible says don't do it. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> but he takes it a step further. It goes to the deeper meaning. Just because you don't say a cuss word, if your heart is in the same place when you use a substitutionary word, doesn't it mean the same thing? It would be like if a police officer told you, I know you've heard you should not speed, but I tell you that you should walk wherever you go. It would be like if Jesus were to tell us that, um, I know you have heard that murder is wrong, but I tell you that if you have anger with a brother, then it's the same as murder. And Jesus does say this as we continue reading the scripture in the next couple weeks, we will see that. That murder is not the end goal of the law. That's not the intent to keep one from murdering, but the intent is to keep one from having anger, which leads to murder. So Jesus fulfills the law by bringing clarity to what it means for his people. The second way that Jesus fulfills the law is he fulfills the prophecies. You see that there are over 200 prophecies of the Old Testament and the prophets, and they all pointed towards a Messiah and Jesus fulfilled, and he met the specifications of these prophecies perfectly. And so Jesus fulfills the law by fulfilling the prophecies, not only with his birth and where he was born and who he was born to in the city in which he lived in the way that he lived his life perfectly in the way that he taught the scriptures in the way that he healed, but the way that he died and the way that he ultimately rose from the dead. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies and by doing so, Jesus fulfilled the law. See, every part of the Old Testament points to Jesus and it points to the gospel. J.C. Ryle, who was a bishop in England in the 19th century, has a quote where he says, the Old Testament is the gospel in the bud, but the New Testament is the gospel full flower that the Old Testament pointed to Jesus. In the Old Testament, you could see the gospel, but you couldn't see it fully revealed until it bloomed in the person and the embodiment of Christ. So Jesus brings clarity. Jesus fulfills the prophecy. And Jesus, the third thing, lives perfectly. That Jesus is the only person to perfectly live out the requirements of the law. He is the only person who has never sinned. You see, later on in Jesus' ministry, we see that the Pharisees will try to convict him to lead to his death. But what happens? 
They can't find a flaw. They can't find any sin in Jesus's life. And so Jesus, when confronted by the Pharisees, asked them, what have I done that is wrong? What sin have I committed? And they can't come up with anything. So Jesus walks away. He's free to go because he is free of sin. That there was a never a time where Jesus fell short of what the law asked for. And in Jesus' perfection, he fulfilled the demands of the law, not only for himself, but for you and for me. That Jesus gives us the righteousness that we lack. That Jesus, in his perfection, has the ability to offer that perfection to others. That because Jesus fulfilled the law, he can offer that fulfillment to us. I've heard it put like this, that it's like going to the dentist. So let me explain. When I uh, was growing up, when I was a kid, I didn't like brushing my teeth. I don't know why. It's gross. I get it. But I feel like there's a lot of kids who don't like brushing their teeth. I don't, I don't know. Um, and so uh, when I was young, my mom would tell me to get ready for bed. And so I'd go into the bathroom and I'd turn the water on and I'd grab my toothbrush and I'd stick it under the faucet, get it wet, and I'd put it back where it goes turn the water off and I'd go to my room. And so my mom would come in the room and say, hey, did you brush your teeth? And I'd say, yeah, I brushed my teeth. Go fill my toothbrush, it's wet, right? And she'd say, okay, well, let me smell your breath. And so I'd breathe into her face and she would realize that I had in fact not brushed my teeth. And so I didn't like brushing my teeth, but what I did like was candy and soda and sugary things that children often like. And so I went to the dentist at some point and uh, the dentist looks at my teeth and he's just kind of checking everything out and he tells me that I have three cavities and so because I didn't like brushing my teeth because I liked sugar <laughs> in those things I caused cavities to form within my teeth of my own doing of my own flaws my own mistakes that my mom tried to keep from happening and so the dentist had to come in and fill these cavities, fill these empty spots in my teeth because of my mistakes. And so in the same way, Jesus fulfills the law for us. That we have these empty spots in our lives that where we look at the law, we have failed here, we have failed here, we have failed here all along the way and Jesus comes in his perfection and fills those spots with his righteousness because of our mistakes because of the way that we have messed up because of the choices that we had made Jesus still steps in and fills those voids that we have that we fall short but in Jesus' perfection he gives us his righteousness Jesus fulfills the law because he is perfect. And so he continues to speak in verse 18 where he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Our second point is this, that the law is still important. 
the law is still relevant to us today and it was still relevant to these disciples as they're being spoken to by Jesus. You see that the law is this set of 613 rules, regulations, and uh, laws that they had that they had to follow. And these 613 laws could really be broken up into three different categories. When you study the types of laws that they are, they can be broken up into three categories of civil, ceremonial, and moral. So these civil laws were instructed to Israel on how to live their day-to-day lives. So this involved governing principles. It involved dietary restrictions. It involved how to dress, how to cut your hair or not cut your hair. And then we have the ceremonial laws, which really focus on telling Israel how to worship God. So this would look like the celebrations and the festivals, such as the Passover feast. This would look at the sacrifices that they would take to the high priest. It would look at um, all the laws of setting up and keeping up with the temple. These were the ceremonial laws. And then the third thing was the moral laws. The moral laws all focus on the unchanging, holy nature of God. And so the, the moral laws were the Ten Commandments. The moral laws had to do with justice and how to treat others, and it had to do with sexual immorality. So we have this group, these three different groups of laws, and Jesus, in verse 18, says that no part of the law shall be abolished until all is accomplished. So what does that mean for us? Because we look at some of these laws of the Old Testament, and we eat shrimp, we eat bacon. But the laws say that we should not eat shellfish. The law says that we should not eat from pigs because they are dirty and unclean animals. So why is it that we can do those things? A common argument that people will have is, why is homosexuality still bad, but you can eat shrimp? You can eat shellfish, even though the law said you can't do that, but how come homosexuality is still part of the law? Well, the reason is because... uh, Well, to the best of our knowledge, shrimp, shellfish were dirty creatures. They were bottom dwellers in the ocean. And so the Israelites did not have the proper cleaning mechanisms to make this food safe for them to eat. And so eating shellfish was a civil law. It was a dietary restriction that was given to them. And the civil laws were given to Israel to establish them as a nation and to protect them. So the civil laws were given to protect. And so the shellfish was given as a law to protect them from illnesses, to protect them from sickness. So God gave that to them for their benefit. But then when we look at homosexuality, marriage relationships, sexuality have not changed. And so this is a moral law that people have not changed from the time that this Old Testament was written until now, that it is a moral issue. It is not a ceremonial. It is not a governing. It is not to protect them from certain things that have changed. But as we said, the moral laws are based on God's unchanging nature. The civil and ceremonial laws accomplished their purpose. 
So the civil laws were made to establish Israel as a nation, to set them apart from the pagan nations around them, and to protect them from illness, protect them from death, protect them from the outside world. And that was accomplished already. And then the ceremonial laws were all given to point to Jesus, to point to worshiping God, and that has been fulfilled through Christ as well, and we'll look at that a little bit more later. But the moral law, it still holds true because it's based on God's unchanging nature. It's based on who God is. It's unchanging. So homosexuality has not changed. Homosexuality is a moral issue. It's the same thing with murder. That murder hasn't changed from 5,000 years ago till now. That murder is still wrong. And that's a moral law. And so the moral laws are still important. They're still relevant to us today. If all the laws were the same, then we couldn't wear polyester. We would have to make sacrifices every time that we sin. But Jesus, throughout his teachings and the New Testament apostles, make it very, very clear that the ceremonial, that the civil laws no longer bind us. They have been fulfilled in who Jesus is and in his life. So, when it comes to the moral law, what does Jesus say about this? Well, Jesus in verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an outlandish statement. This is flabbergasting to these people. This is flabbergasting to the crowd and to Jesus' disciples. How can you say that our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees? The Pharisees and the scribes were experts at keeping the law. That they did it better than anybody had ever done it. That they not only kept the 613 laws that they were given, but they also added on about another thousand laws and rules to keep them from getting close to breaking the 613. They were close as you could get to perfect. You see, the Pharisees, what they would do, some examples is the third command is to not say the Lord's name in vain, to not take the Lord's name in vain. And so what the Pharisees would do, they wouldn't say God's name at all because they knew that if they grew accustomed to saying God's name, that it might possibly slip out whenever they were angry or upset. Can you imagine? These are teachers of the law. These are teachers of God, and they would be sitting there teaching, but they would not say the name of God that they are talking about. And they did this to keep them from getting close to sinning. Another thing that they would do is they would walk around the city. They would walk around the, the, uh, the temple with their heads down, not looking where they are going because they didn't want to be looking around and cause their eyes to lust after a woman. So they would keep their heads down and they would run into things and it would be something that they would become known to do is running into things because they were steering their eyes away from temptation. 
Then on the Sabbath, we've heard that, you know, the Sabbath day, you need to keep it holy, that we don't work. We find rest on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees would not carry anything heavier than a fig. They didn't want to get close to sinning, that they were about as righteous as you could possibly be. They were as religious as anyone has ever been. And Jesus says that only if you are better than them can you get to heaven. Jesus, that's impossible. I can imagine the disciples are sitting there just thinking there's no way that he means this. There's no way that I can possibly be as perfect as the Pharisees. There's no way that I can exceed them in my righteousness. We look at Matthew who wrote this gospel, that the account of Matthew was written by a man who was once a tax collector. And so he had already fallen short, that he was already someone who grew accustomed to not living by the law. And these other disciples were fishermen, that they grew up with their families fishing. They weren't in the temple learning. They weren't going to school learning about the law, learning about the prophets. So how would they ever exceed the prophets? I can imagine that the disciples are sitting there saying, Jesus, no one is good enough no one can get to heaven. And I can imagine that Jesus would look at them and say, that's the point. You aren't good enough. None of you are. And if you try in your own strength, you'll never get there. But our third point is this. Jesus is the only perfect person. And the good news is that Jesus offers this to you. That Jesus was the only one who was worthy to get to heaven and he offers us this gift to go with him. He offers us the gift of heaven. Why was the ceremonial law fulfilled? Or how was the ceremonial law fulfilled? So what was the ceremonial law? We talked about it, it was the sacrifices. So in the Old Testament, if I was a Jewish man and I sinned, I would have to get an unblemished, perfect, um, without fault animal, and I would have to take it to the temple before the high priest. I would confess my sins, and the high priest would sacrifice this animal on my behalf. And the next time I sinned, I would have to find another perfect animal and do the same thing. And then we look at the ceremonies and the feasts. They practice the Passover feast every single year to remember how God freed them from Egypt and God passed over them with his wrath and put his wrath on Egypt. So why, how was the ceremonial laws fulfilled? Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice without blemish, without fault. He was the sacrifice that died on our behalf. And because of that, he satisfies the wrath of God. So God's wrath passes over us. That the ceremonial laws all pointed to Jesus and Jesus fulfilled them in his perfection. We are seen as righteous because of Jesus's righteousness. And only when we acknowledge that we are empty, that we are poor in spirit, that we have spots where we are not righteous and we ask God to fill them and we accept his fulfillment of the law, 
Can we accept this gift? Can we get to heaven? Because if you don't accept the gift of the free grace of God, the requirement is perfection. The requirement is not to be a good person, not to be pretty good, not to be better than those people over there, not to have your good outweigh your bad, but the requirement is perfection. And all of us, you, me, we all fall woefully short of perfection. So Jesus was perfect. Jesus is perfect. He's the only one who could fulfill the law. He's the only one who could live without error, without sin, without fault. He paid the debt that God required. And he gives that, he offers that free gift to us. He not only paid the debt for you, he paid the debt for me when he completely fulfilled the law. So, we just need to accept it. You need to trust in the free grace. You need to put your faith in the grace that Jesus has had for you. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for the one now who is trying to live in their own strength, who has never accepted the gift that you freely give, God. And Jesus, I thank you that you paid the debt. You paid the debt for our past. You paid the debt for our flaws, for our mistakes, for the ways that we chose to live outside of your will. We chose to live on our own strength and in our own will and not yours. I thank you that you paid the debt. You paid the debt for the areas that we hate about ourselves. You paid the debt for the areas that other people in our lives have not forgiven us for. You have forgiven us. You have paid the debt. You have fulfilled the law. And I pray for the person who needs to trust and believe in that today. If that's you, I just pray that you would accept his gift. That you would put your faith and your trust in him. Because he is worthy of it. And he can handle it. Whatever your past is, whatever you have gone through, whatever mistakes you've made, Jesus is worthy to die for, and he has. And so, Jesus, I pray for the rest of us that we just needed this reminder that it's not in our own strength, not as the Pharisees live, that as much as we could try to obey the laws and the commands, God, our hearts are wicked at their core. And so we need you. So I pray that we would trust more in you today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your teaching. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.